Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Crime and Investigations, I Am A Killer is a brand new 10-part true crime documentary series produced in partnership with Netflix by an excellent production team including me, Danny Tipping and me, Tom Adams. Each episode tells the story of a prisoner convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. In this podcast, we'll be going into the making of each episode revealing what it was like to produce this incredible series. My name is Justin Wiley Dickens. I was convicted of capital murder and a robbery homicide, and I received the death penalty. So Mockingbird, episode three, is the story of, of Justin Dickens, who is a, a young man who robs a, a pawnbroker's and in the process of the, of the armed robbery shoots, shoots a customer dead um, and uh, is arrested and, and prosecuted for, for murder, for capital murder. Well, the jewellery and pawn store that is held up by Dickens is known as the Mockingbird Jewellery and Pawn Store. The Mockingbird in nature is is a bird that imitates the call of, of other birds. And I think the feeling was that Dickens, in a way, tried to be someone else holding up that store. He'd been taken under the wing of a chap called Dallas Moore, who was, uh, you know, a, a criminal and, and I think he dealt drugs. He had a criminal past and it was as if Justin Dickens in this crime was trying to be that kind of character. He he wasn't, well, was he? We don't know. He he didn't appear to be the kind of criminal character that um, Dallas Moore was. And so we felt the Mockingbird sort of summed up the the, the the themes of the show. Again, another another story that perhaps isn't as straightforward as it seems, and another example of of one that perhaps if if we were making a, a sort of more traditional true crime series and we we didn't have access to the perpetrator, the murderer themselves, um, would wouldn't have made it uh, through our our selection process because it's a story of a of a, a guy from the wrong side of the tracks, a petty criminal with with a with a drug problem, who robs a pawn brokers for drug money, and uh, accidentally shoots and kills his victim, and he's, and he's caught and arrested well, twenty four hours later. That's the question: whether he shot accidentally or but, not. But during and, the process, and, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, during the process, of the crime shoots and kills. It's, it's definitely him that pulled the trigger. There's yeah, no question yeah. of of, yeah. of his involvement, and it's just a couple of days later, caught, arrested, and convicted. So it's a very straightforward uh, crime on the face of it, um, and one that perhaps wouldn't have sustained 
a 50-minute documentary had we not interviewed Justin. And then uh, over the course of our interview and our subsequent interviews and, and investigation, it turns out to be a very complex and a multi-layered story and, and perhaps not all it seems. I just thought, I can't believe I just killed somebody. That thought was just on a loop over and over and over on my mind. There wasn't no, am I going to get away with this? Uh, nothing. I just, I was stunned. The production team had the opportunity in, in the second interview with, with Justin Dickens after they'd interviewed his victim's daughter to relay that that message of forgiveness. And he, he's genuinely moved by it and it's a, it's a really powerful powerful piece in in the film and you know and, and brings the story full circle you know he's had no communication with with the, the victim's family in in the whole time he's been in prison so this is a a rare opportunity but the other contributors as well i mean justin dickens and dallas moore's partner ended up taking drugs from um dallas moore and um realized they needed to pay him back and that's how this whole situation unfolded but being able to speak to Dallas Moore, being able to speak to his then partner and and in fact the daughter and the daughter gives an extraordinary interview where she compares her father to a, a more likable Charles Manson, which... It's Dallas Moore's daughter, yes, yeah. A, sli- a slightly more likable Charles Manson, which I think is probably a fairly accurate description of Dallas Moore. We, in fact, there, there's an interesting story behind that because we were hoping to interview Dallas Moore, but Dallas Moore's a character with a, a long criminal record and, and has spent various periods of his life in and out of police custody and prison and who had been on the run for a long period of time and who, during the course of our production period, was actually arrested in prison, wasn't he, during our, yeah. our production. So we were able to go and interview him uh, in prison and Dallas Moore is the, is the, the criminal that Justin Dickens was enthralled to as part of his... His gang, his, his, his crew. Dallas had been off grid and on the run for a long period of time. It was only through luck, I guess, and, and, and fortune that, that he was arrested and imprisoned somewhere where we were able to interview him. So a bit and of luck I'm, on our, our I mean, part. He, he disagreed with Justin Dickens' take on events. It just goes back to whose truth is the truth. Everyone has a different story to tell. <laughs> yeah, you know, is is a quote from the story. I mean, everybody did have a different yeah. take, and, and it's yeah. when these stories are, you know, in t- certainly in terms of the judicial process, it's, it's when the, these truths come to light and and who hears them. And again, that's all we're trying to do in this series is present all sides of the story, some of which haven't been heard before, and and let the audience decide. Justin Waddy Dickens deserved the sentence he received from the jury. He deserved the death penalty because of the kind of person he was and because of what he did, but also because of the victim that he chose to take from all of us. So once the guys had written and and we'd corresponded over a number of months with them, uh, we started the process of arranging filming dates in Texas and Florida Florida and Missouri. And Missouri, the the, the three... prison authorities that had, had granted us access and that, this would be the first time we met our, our contributors and we had an hour's visiting with each one of them so we had a lot to do in a very short space of time having never met these guys and, and, and although they, they all communicated well uh, and openly 
on paper, we really had no idea the teams that we were sending out there had no idea how these guys would react with a camera on them. They were, obviously, they were key to our films. They were our key contributors, our key interviewees. Now, any other programme, when you've got a contributor who is taking up a third or more of the show, quite literally, on screen for that length of time, you speak to them, you phone them, you go and visit them, you might even film them, you know, just just see what they are like on camera. You make sure, you're absolutely 100% sure that that person will will work on television, will, will be able to perform. And we were going in, and, and, and then you would interview them for the best part of a day, you know, again and again, asking the questions and getting different versions and just going on and on. We had... We'd never met these people before. We didn't know if they were, you know, they could have, it could have just been a, a distraction for them to, to string us along and then... Well, I think, I think also the, the point is when you're interviewing people, normally documentaries, these are people that are interacting with people on a daily basis, having conversations and perhaps have given, even given interviews before. These guys have almost no access to anybody ever. They, they might, if they're lucky, correspond with close friends and family. They have the occasional visitation right. They speak to the prison guards. They're not used to interacting and talking about outside the, uh, probably the therapy sessions and the um, outside the institutional uh, contact they have with, with strangers. So it was a real leap of faith when the productions team turned up that they, they'd be able to crack the nut within an hour and, and get yeah, everything yeah. they needed in that short it, period of time. Equally, it was a leap of faith on their behalf as well because they didn't know us from Adam and although we were upfront about what the series was, they had to believe that we would treat their story in a way that they saw fit. And, and one of the things, um, you know, if you've just watched the series, you'll notice that, of course, there is no... There is no narration. There's no third-party narrator, uh, voice of God narration, and there is no host or interviewer on camera. And in the past and on the few series that have had a death row access, it's nearly always with a, a presenter, a presenter-led interview. And I think one of the things our, our contributors, what made them more comfortable with, with, with contributing was the fact that they weren't going to be interviewed by a presenter and judged and questioned. They were going to be given the opportunity to tell their story. They'd already done, I think so, several of them actually commented they'd already done their time in court they'd already um answered you know all the questions and had their inter- various interrogations they were keen to be able to you know stare down the, the lens of the camera and tell their story um and it's that point that we we made the decision to to not have a narrator and to to use the voice of our our contributors the inmates um to lead the the film which was challenging because that puts extra pressure on the interviews you've nowhere else to go you have to you have to use what people have told you you can't turn corners with a with a carefully crafted line of commentary you 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 have to use what you what you're given what what you were told occasionally just to get facts across we've used cards to get across certain points but for the most part it is just interviewees telling telling us their story and i think that makes it exceptionally real you feel exceptional i mean the other the other call was to um shoot those um death row inmate interviews down the lens so so our contributors are looking straight down the lens rather than 
what often happens in documentaries, they're looking to one side, they're looking to the interviewer who is asking them the questions. We ended up using a, a, a mirror box that sits on the front of the camera lens that allows the interviewee to look down the lens, but through a kind of periscope mirror setup, allows them to see the interviewee sitting at the side of the camera. So they can talk to each other. They've still got eye contact. They're still, to a degree, looking face to face. But it, it gives that down the lens look, which which gives a, an immediacy and a, 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 it's it's closer well, to an the, intimacy. Yeah, intimacy. and I think yeah. I think the choice that stylistic technique and the fact there is no narration separating you from the inmates' narrative is what really works in the series. And I think. You know, I wonder even if actually the viewers have noticed there's no narration, you know, on first viewing, because it just carries you along, doesn't it? And I need him to know that I have forgiven him for what he did. That doesn't mean I like him. That doesn't mean I want to be his pen pal. But for me to go on, I had to forgive him. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And so during the course of the show, we, there's two versions of events that unfold, two alternate versions of, of the story of the crime that was committed. Ultimately, Dickens was convicted of murder and the case hinged on, on his intent to, to kill the victim. Justin's version of events is, is slightly different where he suggests there was a, it was a, an unintentional shooting and there was a struggle for the gun during the course of the robbery and, and he accidentally killed his victim. He, he doesn't deny... His involvement, of course, but that—that's quite in law. That's that's a that's the real key point of, of whether or not he had intended to commit the crime. And so we look at that from from both sides, from from the prosecution's case and Justin Dickens' story, and then subsequently other people involved in the case, friends, relatives, witnesses. And again, we we, we can't answer, or, and we don't answer the question of, of what actually happened. But we definitely shed light on on a case that is not as straightforward, perhaps, as it was originally presented. Yeah, I mean, we, we just hear from both sides and allow them each mm. to, tell, to tell their story. And the prosecution's story differs considerably to Justin Dickens. As with all of these programmes, we, we don't pass judgment, we don't suggest which version... It, this, this, was, this was, again, a big thought across the series, that there isn't a single truth and all we were doing was allowing people to tell their truth and without passing judgment on that and that was again one of the reasons not to have commentary across these because commentary would be that voice of truth um we just present people's truths and and let the audience try and work out what they saw as what actually happened. None of these 
programmes end up with a, a nice, tidy ending where all the leads have been tied up and we know exactly who's who and what's what. It's like real life. There's a, there's a whole tangle of conflicting perspectives and truths and half-truths and misremembered truths and, and it was our job to, as it were, present these fairly so that the audience could make their own minds up. And um, again, Dickens is a is a, a complicated character, but he communicates his his side of things very well. He's obviously somebody that is extremely remorseful, I think, for his part in the crime, and he's keen uh, and, and and exhibited that from the earliest letters to tell his side of the story to to tell what his version of events, which is something I think he feels he, he probably didn't have the opportunity to present during his various court hearings and appeals that's the basis the spine of, of the of the film but then we also have the opportunity to interview relatives of the victim um i think i think the production team did a, an exceptional job in this film in in getting those other contributors to um agree to take part and we were privileged enough to have the daughter of the victim agree to speak to us and she was she was very powerful uh, and and made a big impression also on um, Justin Dickens the fact that that she was able to to say to camera that she forgave Dickens and and for us to be able to let Dickens know that I mean she's quite open she says I don't want to be his friend I don't you know I don't want to meet him but it enabled her to move on with her life being able to forgive him and for him to hear that was quite a moment i think many responses we we had from death row prisoners a number of them are are just adamantly denying their involvement in the crime for which they were convicted that's not the case with justin dickens yeah i think some of the people we contacted saw this series you know there's an awful lot of crime programs that are looking at miscarriages of justice and i think there was a hope from some of the people we contacted that that this series was doing just that and it wasn't it was never the intention i'm not suggesting this was a miscarriage of justice but what some characters were looking for was an opportunity to to give a voice to say there has been a miscarriage of justice justin dickens was was never approached as like that he he just wanted to tell his story so it wasn't a case that this was ever a campaigning film and it's not a campaigning film it's just the story that we've told has, you know, different perspectives. Well, like, like, like the every story in the series, there's, there's, there are a number of versions of the events of which Justin yeah. Dickens is one, and one that he feels he, he hadn't had the opportunity to tell before. We'd love to hear what you think of the series. Comment on Facebook or Twitter with hashtag IamAKiller, and don't forget to rate us and subscribe to this podcast series. The I Am A Killer podcast is hosted by Tom Adams and Danny Tipping and is produced by Sam Pearson, Steph Nardilli and Matt Talent with editing by Susanna Lawrence. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.